You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We have been talking about the book of Ephesians. We've been walking through it, and it's a beautiful picture of how God has designed us to, to run the race in him. However, before we can run, we must learn how to walk. And before we can walk, we must learn how to stand. And so that is what Ephesians is all about. It's six chapters, two chapters on how to stand in Christ, two chapters on how to walk in Christ and what that looks like, and two chapters on how to run the race in Christ and to run victoriously in Him. Now, I do have two children. I have a 17 and a 19-year-old. It's been a while. Some of you guys have children or you have grandchildren. And you might remember those moments when they took their first steps. You guys remember those? Maybe you're in the middle of that right now if you have grandchildren. It is pretty amazing, you know. It is like, uh, but I would never, you know, get my, my daughter out of the little carrier and say, all right, run, run, you know, come on, you know. And I wouldn't even say get up and walk, you know. I would, she's got to learn how to stand first, right. You know, you stand on the furniture, you stand on the coffee table, or you're just kind of, you know, this wobbly thing. There's a video that went viral a beautiful bit video, I love this video, of a father teaching his daughter to walk, and he videotaped the whole process. Check this out. watched it several times. It's so, so, so incredible. I love children, but I think it's so precious. One of my favorite parts, she's walking to the camera, but when she gets there, she looks up at her dad, who's taping out like, oh, you know, so awesome. But I think how how that is for us as, as well, and how good of a father we have that's so patient with us as we just learn to stand, learn to know who we are, and as we take those little baby steps in our walk with God. Uh, but those must precede before we can really run this race. So Ephesians is about a spiritual dad talking about our heavenly father to some spiritual kids that he loves in, in a city called Ephesus. And, and in the city, the little bit of the backstory on this is that Paul started this church. He lived there for over three and a half years. He loved the people of, of Ephesus. And, and as you can see in the pics, it was a major metropolitan city. It, had a, it was a major port city. It, people went there for vacations. It was the place where a lot of people would, uh, would spend uh, the week. You know, it was like a destination site back in uh, the Roman Empire. People would go there and hang out for uh, a week or two, buy their souvenirs, and go back to where they lived. 
In fact, a lot of the churches in the area of Ephesus were started by people who were visiting Ephesus, became followers of Christ, and went back into the areas. In fact, the, uh, a lot of the churches in Turkey, the, the seven churches mentioned in uh, Revelation where many believed, uh, five of them believed to be birthed out of that Ephesian church, including Colossians. Uh, so this was a real major city. Paul loved the people. He spent a lot of time there. Um, at the time that he's writing this letter, he's in prison in Rome, and he's writing to some kids that he loves. In the last two weeks, we've been unpacking this. Uh, chapter 1 and 2 is where we stand in Jesus. Chapter 2 and 3, uh, three and 4 is how to walk. Uh, chapter 5 and 6, how to run. In the last two weeks, uh, here's what we've been looking at so far and how to stand, how to stand in, in Christ. But as a child of God, chapter 1 tells us that we are chosen, we are adopted, we are forgiven, we are enlightened, we are heirs, we are saved, we are included, and we are secure. And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. These are all incredible, beautiful things to know before we can really just understand this faithful walk that we have in God. He's saying you need to know who you are and where you are in him. We're going to pick up where we left off with a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, for this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, he says, by the way, you're getting a reputation. He says, man, I'm hearing about not only your love for God, but how you love each other and how you're loving people. I'll tell you, that's the real evidence, by the way, that God is working in you. You love people. I was talking to somebody before service today that I, um, I know some pastors that don't love people. <laughs> they just like, yeah, I'm like, I love to preach, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I love, you know, to, to, to pastor, but I don't love people. I'm like, then you don't love to pastor because we are called to love and care for the sheep and to love on them. And, and I tell you, a sure sign that God is moving in your life is that you have compassion and love for those around you. He says, man, I've heard about your reputation with this. Verse 16, and I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Remember, these are his spiritual kids. He planted this church. He hasn't seen him in a while. He had a real sad goodbye to them. It's recorded in Acts chapter 20 before he uh, was arrested and uh, sent to Rome. He loved these people. He says, man, I've heard about you. Man, you're doing great. You're thriving. And, uh, man, I'm just so proud of you. I'm, I'm so thankful, and I remember you in my prayer. So what follows is a prayer that the Apostle Paul has for the church in Ephesus. It's a spiritual father, a friend. And a pastor's prayer, three things that he prays they'll never forget and that they'll always know. And by the way, these are three great things that you can pray for your kids, that you can pray for your parents, that you can pray for your friends. Three great things that Paul is praying for them that we can pray for each other, and I believe that God wants for us. And uh, he begins with this in verse 17. He says, I pray, or I keep asking, which is praying, I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Here's the first thing he's praying. He's praying, I pray that you know God deeper. I pray that you know God deeper. Not just a surface relationship, not just a church, you know, attendance, knowledge relationship, uh, but really know God intimately and deeper. Let's talk a little bit about what that means. Two things to understand about knowing God. Two things that are often misunderstood. And the first thing is this, is that obeying God is not knowing God. 
You know, we've been conditioned uh, and we think to ourselves that, man, if I obey uh, the Bible and do what the Bible says and do stuff for God, then somehow that means I know God. It doesn't mean that at all. The Bible tells us to know him. Obedience does not mean that you know him. For example, I obey the law, but it doesn't mean I have a close relationship status with the police department or judges in the city. I might do what I'm asked, but it doesn't mean that I know those that are asking me always to do certain things. Obedience does not equal relationships. Well, you might say, well, doesn't the Bible say that Jesus said, if you obey me, uh, that if you love me, you'll obey me? Absolutely. In fact, the Bible doesn't say that once. Jesus didn't say that once. He said that a lot. And then it's repeated again quite a bit by his apostle John in 1 John. So absolutely, if you love me, you'll obey me. But I want you to notice this. It doesn't say that if you obey me, I'll love you. And it doesn't say if you obey me, that means you love me. In fact, it starts with just the opposite. It says if you love me, if you have a relationship, if you are intimate in your walk with me, if you know who I am, and I know who you are, if there's this relationship that is beyond just attendance, church, and religion, if it's love, an intimate, that's a, an intimate word, by the way. That's a powerful, powerful word that means all kinds of things in the Bible. But it is intimate, and it is powerful, and it's beyond just a knowledge. He says, if you love me, if you know me, then you'll obey me. One comes before the others. To know him is one thing, but from that status, from that relationship status, we desire to obey him. If you love me, intimacy, relationship. Now, it's not rules. You've heard this. It's relationship. But we often sometimes confuse obedience with love. If we don't get this, we're simply becoming religiously good people, but still spiritually lost. I pray that you know God deeper, he says. Second thing you need to know about knowing God is that knowing about God is not knowing God. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. I mean, you might know a few things about Jesus. I always, you know, we joke about this in our small group is that, is that there's the holy trinity of answers that you can almost, if you say one of these three words in a Bible study question, you're probably going to get 90% of the answers right. Regardless of the question, answer one of these three things. Jesus, God, the Bible. If you answer one of those, if you answer a question in a Bible study with Jesus, God, the Bible, you're going to get 90% of the questions right. And maybe you know a few things more than Jesus God the Bible. Maybe you know a few Bible verses. Maybe, maybe you grew up in church or maybe you've been going here for a while and you have some, some knowledge of some Bible stories and some verses. You know some things. You can answer questions correctly. But let me say something. It doesn't mean that you know him. It reminds me of a verse that Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 7, talking to the crowd. He said, Many will say to me on that day, the day that he comes back, the day that the Lord comes back, Lord, Lord, did, I, did we not prophesy in your name? That means didn't we like prophetically speak words that, you know, of, of understanding and knowledge to people? Didn't we speak about you and in your name drive out demons or perform miracles? But Jesus said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's some really good church people that still don't know God. 
Maybe you are a really good church person. Maybe you know a lot about God, a lot about the Bible. Man, enough to probably even get up here and pull off a pretty good little Bible study. But it doesn't mean you know him. Because to know about him doesn't mean that you know him. Here's what it says. He prays, God, may you give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What does that mean? That, that's the part that goes deeper. See, what does spirit of wisdom and revelation? It means that knowing God is not a something that you can attain information-wise. It's not a knowledge reason. It's not about uh, opinions, assumptions, or feelings. It's not about trivia. It is a supernatural revelation of God that he's talking about here. I pray that you will supernaturally know the love of God. I pray that you will supernaturally know his goodness and his faithfulness. I pray that you will supernaturally know the patience and the grace of God, his kindness. This is done only through Jesus alone. We can't even profess, confess, and truly know God without the Holy Spirit working in us. It's got to be a spiritual revelation. There's a lot of people, you know, I tell you, I've talked to a lot of atheists. And a lot of those guys know a lot about the Bible. A lot, of, a lot of guys I know that are atheists and agnostics know more Bible than many Christians. They know the verses. They, you know, many of them grew up in church. They know the traditions. They know the songs. And they can tell you the process and, and the Bible studies and even kind of pull it off. And they go, ah, but I don't believe any of it. Because knowledge is not something that he's just talking about. He's talking about supernatural spiritual revelation, an eye-opening moment. He says it kind of again in Ephesians chapter 3, which we're going to get in a few weeks. Uh, he says, I pray that you, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church, same church. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with the Lord's holy people, I love this, to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. He's, man, if I could, if I could just ask for one thing from God. If I could, man, I'm praying that you will grasp and know God beyond human knowledge and understanding. If I could pray that for you. He says, and I love how he says, that you would be filled to the measure. That means filled to the top, lacking nothing. You see, when you know, when you know God, doubt runs and hides. Even when you're afraid, even when you're worried, even when you're stressed, you know the goodness of God. It's a spiritual revelation. It's something that only can come from God. Never doubting the depth of his love for you. That's his prayer. Yeah, I tell you, so many people run from God because they don't know the love of God. They're running from church. They're running from tradition. They're running from rules. You know, there's a particular person I've been kind of ministering with and talking to for the last uh, month. And every time we end our time, I'm like, are you ready to bow the knee to Jesus? Are you ready to cross that line? And each time he goes, no, I'm not. You know, I'm, and we keep meeting. And I, I told him, I'm going to love you no matter what. I appreciate your honesty. But that hole in your soul will never be filled until you make that decision. 
What is he running from? It's because he doesn't know. He doesn't know the love, the depth, the height, the width of God's love for him. Here's the second thing. He says, not only do I pray that you know God deeper, he says, number two, but I pray that you would know your calling. I pray you know your calling. Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, that your spiritual eyes, he said, man, if you could only see what I'm praying for. He says, by the way, are your eyes open? Are, your spirit, are the eyes of your heart open? He says, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That great hope of his calling is our resurrection and the return of Jesus and the kingdom that is to come. The riches of the next life, he says, you're called to another place. You're called to another kingdom, to another world. You're just passing through. I pray that you would know that you are called to something beyond this place. Now, there are a few things I want you to know about this calling, two things in particular, and this is the first thing. If you can know this calling, number one, you won't hold so tightly to this life. If you know what you're called to, you don't get all caught up to what you have now. There's like a freedom in this life because you know that you're called to something greater and something beyond this. When you see your future hope, you live open-handed. You see, a lot of people, they, can't, they, don't, understand, they don't know the calling that is to come for them. They don't know the life and the kingdom which is to come. So they're all caught up in the 24 hours they have or the month they have, the possessions they have, the things they have, and they just hold so tightly to them. And they're like, I just, ah. But you know what happens when you understand this calling? You understand what Timothy I was told by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 7, he says, you understand when he says, you brought nothing into this world, you certainly can't carry it out. There's no U-Hauls behind your hearse, all right? You, you're not taking anything with you. And when you can understand the calling in which you have, you live open-handed in this life. You understand what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 20, when he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. The verse before he says, why are you so caught up in the things in this life which do rot, which the animals do devour, and the, and the bugs do rot away at, and they do break, and they do get left behind. I tell you, there, you can't take anything with you, but you can send it ahead. There's what's known as God's layaway plan. And that layaway plan is the investment you make into the kingdom in this life is a reward in the next, is a transference to, you know, all of this, will all these chairs, everything that you have, your own body, you guys are testament of your own body, you know it's fading, <laughs> it's dying, you know, it's, it's, a, it's wrinkly and beautiful still. The cars that you have, they will rust, they will break, the clothes that you have will weather and tear, everything will pass. Only what is eternal will last. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. See, when you know this idea that you are called 
to another place, you live a generous life. You live free. You live unbound. You live less anxious about money and possessions, and you become eternity-minded, holding loosely to what God gives you, knowing that the only way that you make that last for eternity is if you invest it into the eternal. Some struggle to trust God in their finances, and they struggle to give because of this very issue. They don't truly know the calling that they have been given. And so they hold tightly to every little dime and penny that they have. You know, I want to tell you something. It's not about having a lot of money or a little bit of money. I've seen people just as greedy and selfish who don't have any money than those that are greedy and selfish and have a lot of money because there's a heart issue at play here. But when you know, he's, man, I pray that you know that you're called to something greater because when you do, you live free. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What are we to love? We're to love the Lord our God, you know. We're to love him, not love our possessions and our stuff and our things. When we have misplaced love, that is the root or the beginning of all kinds of bad things that grow in our life. He says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Flee from all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Man, these are the things you must pursue, not the possessions and the, and the property and, and the things that, you, that will waste away and rust away. He says, and he goes on, he says, fight the good fight. Man, we love that verse. Maybe you've heard that. Fight the good fight. That is in relation to letting go of the things of this world. He says, take hold of of the eternal to which you were called. Remember, you have a calling that is an eternal calling. He says, I pray that you could take hold of that knowledge, of that knowing, of that calling. When you were made your good confession, uh, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That means when you became a follower of Christ, you were called to a new life. How can I be free from the worry of money and stuff? Reach for the eternal. Take hold of it. Know your eternal calling. All right? Everything, everything you have is just an overnight bag. You know, if you've ever been on a trip and you lost your bag, anybody here ever lost a bag on a trip? You know, you might have some personal items in there. But, you know, you just, you just know, like if you're going on an airplane, for example, you have your carry-on, which is which the important stuff. But you check in a bag that has clothes, things you want to take, things you need, you know, maybe some of your favorite outfits. But if that bag gets lost, hey, life goes on, you know. Because that's just an overnight bag. That's not the house. That's not the car. Even those are te temporary. But it's just an overnight bag. You know, when you go to hang out at a friend's house or you go to spend the night, you don't take everything in your bedroom. You might try if you're a young person to take a lot of stuff. But, but ultimately, you know what? That's just an overnight bag. This life, everything in this life is just an overnight bag. But we get all caught up in the carry-on. Here's the next thing about understanding your calling, and I love this one, you have boldness to live freely in God's calling in this life. Not only do you hold loosely to the things of this life, but you live freely in God's calling in this life. You see, when you have your eyes on eternity, you see those around you differently. The things you do are different. Our lives are brief. Eternity is forever and when you understand the calling of the next life, you know that billions of people's eternity are at stake every day. I now know that. 
because I know the calling of the life which is to come. And therefore, I have a deep, deep urgency for the people in this life. When you understand the calling of the next, you embrace freely the calling of this life. The trials, the setbacks, the circumstances I face are only temporary because I know the calling that's coming. God, so I say, God, what do you want from me? God, what do you want for me to do? God, do you, God what do you want for me to say? God, where do you have for me to go? When we understand the calling of the next life, we all have a calling in this life. But when we understand that calling, we're free and unbound to live the calling in this life. You see, every Christian, if you have bowed the knee to Christ, if you are a Christian, you are a missionary. You are a minister of the gospel. Wherever you are, you are a missionary. If you go to work tomorrow, you're that missionary at work tomorrow. Some of you guys are going back to school. You know, when you go to school, you're the missionary in that classroom, in that hallway, on that campus. You're going to go someplace I'll never go and your parents will never be. In those classrooms with your peers and friends, you're a missionary to those people. The people that you work with, I'll never maybe have a chance to sit down with in an environment where you are their missionary. Because I have a clear understanding of the eternity in which I'm called, I know clearly and I'm bound my calling here. And I will not bow, and I will not shrink back, and I will not cringe, and I will not cower because I know the calling in which I've been called to. That's the beauty of this calling. He says, I pray that you will know this calling to eternity that you have. Because it unleashes the calling that you have in this life. Romans 8.31, because it helps you to understand that if God is for me, then who can be against me? Because I have a calling that's greater than here. And let me illustrate it this way. The word calling in the Bible is a Greek word that means a shouted invitation. A loud invite. All right, And maybe the best way to to explain that is to... Well, to show you, this is a great example, as if it wasn't loud enough in here. This is a great example of the calling in which we have. See, when I understand the calling that God has for me, and when you understand the calling that God has for you in the next, here's what happens. You start to make a little bit more clear sense. Listen, God loves and cares for you. There's more to this life. This calling that he speaks of is a loud invite to come and see the goodness and the glory of God. You have something greater than this life waiting for you. When you understand your calling, all of a sudden you have this sense of boldness and urgency to loudly declare there's more to this life. There's more than what you do when you wake up in the morning, go to work and go back to bed and do it all over the next day, working for the weekend, working to pay the bills, working to put shoes on the kids' feet. More than that, you have a calling. When you embrace the calling of God in your life, you understand that you are invited. In fact, this is what's lovely about this this invite 
the invite is, is literally an invitation, the word calling, to come and sit at a table. So God first is calling you, come and sit at my table with me. Come and sit at my table. But with that calling, there's an invite that says, hey, anybody want a free dinner? <laughs> come sit at the table with me. It's an invite to bring others to the table with you. See, we're invited to come to the table of the Lord. But we're also commanded to never come to the table alone. Understanding the calling that we have for the next life unleashes the calling and an understanding of what we have in this life. You have an invitation. You have a calling. This is your declaration. You're called and wired to advance the kingdom of God. But there's more to God than what you've experienced. You've been created for greatness. You have a calling. You are invited. Come and sit and bring somebody. Paul is saying, do you know that? I pray that you would know this calling. Some people say, well, I, I volunteer here at Living Way Church. And, you know, and volunteering is one way. People wouldn't. Uh, each week people come to know Christ because of you, because you help out in kid venture and because maybe you help in greeting and set up, and that's a wonderful way. But, it's, but that's just the beginning of this calling because it's, this calling is beyond a Sunday morning service volunteer time of 15 minutes once a month. Because most of you guys, you, you schedule a volunteer thing once or twice a month. All right, kingdom work done. No, man, this calling is a daily invitation to get out and shout it out with your love and with your actions and with your words and with your deeds to come to the table. There's more to God than just volunteering. It's an understanding of the calling that we have. So he says this. Here's the next one. He says, I pray that you know him deeper, and I pray you know your calling. In Ephesians 1.19, he says, and I pray that you know... His incomparably great power for us who believe. He said, man, I pray that you know this power. He says, that power in you is the same as the mighty strength he, God, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. He says, I pray that you know God deeper. I pray that you know your calling. And I pray that you know God's power. Man, I want you to know God's power, he says. I don't want you just to hear about it. I want you to know it. I don't want you just to know the stories. I want you to experience it. In the original, the word to know is to be aware, to realize, to experience, to see, to appreciate, to grasp, to understand. He says, man, I want you to grasp his power. I want you to experience it. I want you to realize the depth, the power, the amazing awe of his power. Paul throws out the same concept in another book he wrote in Philippians 3.10. He says, I want you to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. You know, we live in a society where you can know anything. You know, you got some options. I got to be careful when I say this because I don't want my phone to come on. But you can ask Google. If you have a galaxy, you can ask Bigsby. If you have an Echo, you can ask Alexa. If you have an iPhone, you can ask. <laughs> My phone just came on. Shh. If you have an iPhone, you can ask Siri. 
you know. And if you're at your computer and you have Windows, you can ask Cortana, whatever, you know. You have all these search engines, name it, you can find the answer. And we got dictionaries, we got encyclopedias, we got trivia. What's the name of that movie of that character? What's the name of that person? What's that actor? What's that date? What's that place? What's that location? You know, it's like, boom, answers. Who needs school anymore, right? I don't need to learn. I don't need to, I don't need to ask my family how to do something. Google, show me a YouTube video on how to do this. Yeah? I don't need anybody. I don't need you. I got Google. I got YouTube. What a world we live in. He's saying, you know what? God is more than just five steps to financial freedom or three steps to thriving in the world. It's more than knowledge. God is more than information, facts, and data. He says he is power. We need to know not just the God of knowledge and understanding, but the God of power. He says God still does miracles, people. God still heals the sick. God still opens doors that are closed And he still closes the doors that have been unintentionally opened. Still does the impossible. God is a God of power still today. He's not some mythological character that we just have to blindly accept and believe. He shows us periodically his power in our life. He says, I want you to know his power. I want you to experience. I want you to have this power this is what he says, don't brush off the power of God because you're intelligent. So because I'm too smart for miracles. I'm too intelligent for the supernatural. Let me tell you, the entire Bible is bookend by miracles. Our entire faith is a miracle. Resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. Everything we have is, is beyond knowledge. It's miraculous. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talking to a church in Corinth that he planted. He says, my message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Whoa, man, our walk with God is not designed to be all brain." There is a supernatural part of our life that we are to know and experience. You can walk in the supernatural power of God. He says, man, I'm praying that you would know this same power that raised Christ from the dead is inside of you. I pray that you know that power. Three things to know about the power of God. The first thing is this, so important, this is probably the most important one, is you cannot harness the power of God. You can't harness the power of God. You can't tell God how and when he's going to use his power. You can't dictate demand or put your foot down and say, this is what's going to happen. Paul tells the church in Corinth about supernatural gifts in the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And then he says this. He says, verse uh, 11 of chapter 12, he says, all these things are the work of one and the same spirit. And he, God, distributes them to each one, if you have a Bible, circle this, as he determines. You don't determine the power of God. You don't uh, determine the spiritual gifts or how God's going to use them in your life or in others' life. You can't demand God's spiritual gifts or powers. He gives them as he determines, as he desires in his will. God Almighty is all-powerful. You cannot hold him hostage or demand your way. 
He does as he desires and determines. Doesn't matter how long you pray, you can't make God do anything for you. Oh, I don't know about that, Ted. Well, let's look at a few verses. Just talk about it. There's hundreds. Here's a few. Proverbs 12, 19, 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord, not your purpose, but the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of man plans his way. The Lord establishes his steps. You can make a plan. You can pray through it, believe it, do your list, go through your steps, and head in that direction. But it says the Lord establishes or puts his steps where they're supposed to go. So the Lord's always in charge. Look at this one. Job 12.10 says, In his, in God's hands, is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Everything alive is under his charge and control in his command. Job said this near the end of the Job when he was really getting an understanding of God. He says, I know, God, that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be stopped. You can't stop God and you can't make God do anything you want him to do. You can't harness his power. He's not a horse to be reined in. Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom and he rules over all. He rules. He's in charge over all things. Daniel 4.35 says, All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. In comparison, doesn't mean you're nothing, means in comparison to him, it's like comparing yourself to an ant, you know. It's like you're nothing, you know, the ant's nothing compared to you. But that's kind of the analogy here. He says, he does as he pleases among the angels of heaven, among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what have you done? What are you doing? God, what is going on? God's like, you're not in charge of me, (laughs) you know. It's like when your kids get old enough, you go, you're not the boss of me. Well, yes, I am, <laughs> you know. If you're babysitting, you ever babysit and the kids try to pull that on you, you're not the boss of me, you know. Or a teacher or something. God's not some, you know, spoiled little kid or, or a kid with a bad attitude. He's, he's God. You are not the boss of me, God says. God is all powerful. He has complete power to use as he wills. And he has the power to use it as he uses it. There is no formula for it. God is not a vending machine combination. A6, God, I want my healing. A3, 3, 2, I want my finances fixed, you know. There's not a combination of of four steps to to break through in your prayer life. You know what? God cannot be harnessed. God heals, does miracles, signs and wonders as he desires, and I thank God for it. He still does those things. I'm thankful. But he does those as he desires, oftentimes in response to a prayer, but it's his will. Here's the second thing you need to know about the power of God is that in Christ you have power to overcome and endure. This is a great one. The power to stand strong, to overcome, to endure any hardship. Because of what Christ has done in you and what, that power that he has to do miracles in you, in you, sometimes he doesn't do the breakthrough miracle that you've been praying for. Sometimes you don't get the healing that you're wanting. Sometimes you don't get that, that answer to prayer in your family, your home. But you know what? When he doesn't show that power, he gives you another power, and that's the power to overcome and endure. 
He gives you this. This is what John says in 1 John 4, 4. He says, children of God, he says, you are from God and have overcome them. That means the hardships that come at you. He says, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's power, man. What God inside of you is greater than anything this world or the spirits of darkness try to bring against you. You have the power to overcome as or if you are a child of God. Colossians 1.11, Paul says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you have all the endurance and patience you need. He said, I'm praying that you will know God's power to be one who endures, who is strengthened in hardship. Probably one of the more popular verses of the Bible most often misquoted is Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That doesn't mean you can jump out of a plane and skydive. doesn't mean you're going to win that football game. It doesn't mean that you're going to get that job. You know what it means? If you look at the whole chapter, it means in your midst of trial and hardship, you can endure all things through Christ who gives you strength. It's about how God gives you the strength to endure hardship. No matter what comes at me, I know I can do this. I know I can get through this. Because God can do anything. That power, child of God, is yours. You need to know where you stand before you can walk. You can overcome what you're going through right now. The power of God is in you. You have the love and the power of God Almighty in your in your blood, in your veins. Do you realize this? Many Christians don't understand this. They don't recognize it. They don't believe it. They don't know it. They have resurrection power in their life. Here's the third thing about the power of God I want you to know. I'm going to end with this thought. Is that in Christ, you have the power to see the dead raised to life. He says this. He says the power in you, that same power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. He says something similar to the Roman church in Romans 8, 11. He says, and if, meaning if you are reborn in Christ, if you are a child of God, he says, if you're a child of God, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. So the same power who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You have, as a son and daughter of God, the power to see the dead come to life. The power that will raise your body one day into the eternal calling that he prays that you know. But it's also the same power that can raise a dead marriage. It's also the same power that can resurrect a dead job. It's the same power that can bring back to life dead finances. A dead a broken heart or a spirit that is cold as ice with God. See, as God walks through physical walls, man, he can walk through the walls that you put up around yourself and he can bring your kids spiritually back to life. He can bring your parents spiritually back to life. And you can see because of this power, the dead raised to life. What's dead in your life? As a son and daughter of God, you have the power to see The dead come to life. Paul ends his powerful prayer of three things, to know God deeper, to know his calling, and to know the power of God with this incredible, powerful declaration of the power of Jesus. Listen to this. He says, Ephesians 1.19, he says, The power 
is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him as his right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked in the present age and in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I want to break that down because there's something incredibly deep here that he says about Jesus. I want you to take a look at this. He says right off the top, he says, this power that raised Christ from the dead. Guys, listen, he's saying Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. The cross was the final word, but not the final It was the final word on your sin, but it wasn't the end. He rose again. I love that little sound there. It just makes you wake up a little bit. He is alive. He's not some story. He's alive. He says that power is in you, but don't forget it's because he's alive. And then he says, and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realm. That means Jesus is God. That picture of sitting at the right hand of God is a symbolic picture. It's called anthropomorphism. And what that means, it's a, it's a spiritual description given using physical terms. And basically what it means, the right hand of God means the full honor, power, and authority of the Father. Anyone who sits at the right hand in the ancients was considered the power and authority and equal to Jesus is God. And then he says this, and he's seated far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. You know what that means? Jesus is sovereign. That means he is fully 100% supreme as God. He doesn't have a piece, a part, or partial to the things of this world or life. He has all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. God in Christ reigns. Jesus is sovereign. And then he says, in every name that is invoked... In the present age and the one to come, he's saying this, Jesus is exalted. Not only is he risen, not only is he God, not only is he sovereign, but he's exalted. Present and future, there is no name greater. There is no name under heaven by which man can be saved. There is no other name. There is no one else. It's not Allah. It's not Buddha. It's not Confucius. It's not some mythological character. It's not Joseph Smith. It's not Mary Baker Eddy. It's not Rutherford B. Hayes, and if you know any of these cults and any of these religions, you know who all those people are. That's not the name that's exalted. Jesus is exalted, present and future and the one to come. I love it. And he says, and God placed all things under his feet. That means Jesus is king. He's king, not in the future right now. This is important to know. Jesus is king now. It's not a coming kingdom It's a kingdom he reigns and rules now. If there's anything that happens in the world, it's not because God has lost control or Jesus doesn't know. It's because Jesus is giving time and grace and a season for as many as possible to come to know him. But he reigns. He is in charge. He has all dominion, all things under his feet. He is king. And there's the last thing. And he pointed him to be head over everything for the church. Church is collectively us Together. He says he did it for us together, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I want you to write this down. The last thing is Jesus is moving. He's moving in and through the world through his people, the church. I love this this incredible declaration. See, to know who you are, he says, to know how to stand, you need to know 
who you serve. Jesus is risen. Jesus is God. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is exalted. Jesus is king. Jesus is moving. Jesus is the, that's what we say at the end of every service. Jesus is the living way. We want a declaration every single week of who he is. Notice this. Verse 23 says, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What's the fullness of him? The church. Us collectively. Jesus is the fullness of the Father on the earth. We are the fullness of Christ on the earth. Jesus is the body of God in the flesh. We are the body of Christ in the flesh. You want to see God? You see Jesus. World, you want to see Jesus? See the church. Jesus is the hands and feet of God with us. The church, us together, we are the hands and feet of Jesus in the earth. See, I know people are not always good at being that, and sometimes church people are not very good at being that. But if we can know this, and we can stand in this together, we can be who God created us to be. He says, this is what I pray for you. I pray that you will know God deeper. I pray that you will know the riches of his calling, and I pray that you will know the power of God. Are you in the know? It's a need-to-know basis. And now you know. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that, that you are greater than any circumstance and situation we're in. And God, I pray, Lord, that the people here would know you deeper. And God, that they would know the depth and the riches and the beauty of the calling that you have for them. Lord, I pray that they would know and experience the power of God in their life and trust you to show up in their life. As you're sitting here, what is dead in your life that you need resurrected? We just talk to him for a moment and say, God, I, I need, maybe you are dead in spirit and you need your spirit brought back to life. He's in the resurrection business. When you take a moment, maybe you have a marriage or a situation, a relationship. Maybe you have a school and it's just kind of looming and you feel like it's just going, getting worse. And, you know, talk to God right now. God, here's my life. Bring me back to life through you, Jesus. Tell him what you have need of. Maybe you need a resurrection in your life. Will you tell him right now? Just take a moment and ask him to move in your life. As a child or a son, a daughter of God, if that is what you are, you can see the dead come to life. Thank you, God, that you're still alive and moving and living and working in my life. I pray that, God, we would know, know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.